October is kind of a cool month. It starts with um, World Communion Sunday, which is today. And it's also Pastor Appreciation Month, which means I get a lot of free meals at various places. <laughs> so almost like a birthday. But no, I was able to go to Springfield a couple weeks ago for our, what we call our super cluster. Met with some of the, the other churches in the region. And then I've got a um, leadership conference that you guys are, again, invited to attend. And that is... Thursday through Saturday um, this week. And so I'll be coming down Wednesday night and, and then Thursday through Saturday I'll be in conferences, but don't hesitate to reach out to me. Um, so it's, it's an exciting month. It's an exciting month. And I, th- I think it's perfect for our little church because this is about the time when our church, which is somewhat of a seasonal church, you know, are, we're getting fewer number because the people aren't coming down to, to water, ski, and boat and all that craziness. So it's a great refresh for me to, to kind of re-engage with all this stuff. But Today is World Communion Sunday. It's a celebration observed by several Christian denominations, and it takes place annually on the first Sunday of October. And this celebration promotes Christian unity and ecumenical cooperation. Ecumenism is basically the unity of churches. Um, I can't tell you any more than that because my next class in my seminary is in two weeks and it's on ecumenism so i'll know more then and i'll share with you but it's about ecumenical cooperation and it was established as an attempt to bring churches together in a service of christian unity in which everyone might receive inspiration and information and above all to know how important the church of jesus christ which is the global body church of believers is and how each congregation is interconnected with one another right we're united in the stuff that is so important, and that is who our Savior is, who our God is, and the gift of salvation. And so World Communion on Sunday is when all these churches around the world come and say, you know what, today we're going to do this together, right? So Communion Sunday was adopted throughout the Presbyterian Church in 1936 and subsequently spread to the other denominations. And in 1940, the Federal Council of Churches, it's now called the National Council of Churches, which is a loose association of many denominations, um, endorsed World Communion Sunday, and it began to promote it to Christian churches worldwide. And it's worth noting the National Council of Churches is the largest ecumenical, there's that word again, body in the United States. It's, it's a partnership of 38 Christian faith groups in, in the United States. It includes many of the mainline Protestant churches, Eastern Orthodox, African-American, Evangelical, and historic peace churches. So, so again, right, we have, I don't want to call it this competition. I was actually speaking to a, a high school class on economics and business the other day. And we talk about strengths and weaknesses, opportunities and threats. And you have strengths and weaknesses of your company, right? One of our strengths is we're a lovely small congregation. The weaknesses, we're kind of geographically isolated, right? But when you look at an opportunity and a threat, you're talking about the industry. So, so what is a threat to, to Christianity? It's the other distractions in the world on Sunday morning as far as getting to church. So these things, the, the National Council of Churches, what can we do to stay, keep people plugged into church and more importantly, plugged into God? Because we aren't competing with each other for that goal, right? We aren't. So the Presbyterian, the Methodist, and the Christian Disciple of Christ Churches, which are the three that, that planted this church 42 years ago, belong to this ecumenical body. And as such, we celebrate World Communion Sunday. And it's wonderful to acknowledge and participate in the shared global event honoring the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior. And at Golden Beach Community Church is our tradition now to celebrate communion each Sunday morning when we gather for worship. And in keeping with Jesus' mission and the ministry, which includes all, we are all going to, we're going to take this morning's message time to be reminded that all means all. Go ahead and flip that. All means all. 
And the word all in its various forms and contexts appears in the Bible somewhere between 5,400 and 5,600 times. And that really depends on the translation you're going to read. So that word all is in the Bible almost 5,500 times. And since the Chiefs don't play the Buccaneers until 7.30, I thought I'd take some liberty and go ahead and read all 5,500 <laughs> passages now this morning. Just kidding. <laughs> and the podcast, everybody just turned off. <laughs> but there are some key things that we need to know all, right? God created all from Colossians 1.16. For by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. You know, that was the Apostle Paul, and he loved to close loopholes. And he, he's so descriptive and say, you know, neither high nor low, neither east nor west, whatever. This is, you know, heavens and earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authority. Because all things have been created through him and for him. In Acts 17, 25 through 28, it describes this on a bit of a deeper level. And it says, he is not served by human needs or human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations and they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far away from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. In case you didn't catch the inclusiveness of those two passages, listen to the direct message of Proverbs 22:22. It says, the rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. So insert what you want, you know, the poor, the rich, the, the tall, the short, whatever. The Lord is the maker of them all. And God made all and God loves all. And to that extent, the Bible repeatedly tells us that there's no partiality with God. No partiality. It is because of this love for all and his longing to have a relationship with all of his creation that he sent his son. And you know the verse, John 3, 16, 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Did you hear that? The world, the whole world, all of it, everyone, all The cross reveals God's love and forgiveness. So do you believe that? Have you accepted it for what it is? We are instructed to show this love, the same love God shows us to others with compassion, impartiality, and without condition. Do you remember Jesus' answer when he was asked the greatest commandment, right? Love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, body, strength. And the second, he wasn't asked the second ones, but he said the second one is love others as yourself. And that's where we struggle sometimes, isn't it? There was no shortage of, of scripture pointing out how we're supposed to view and love others. But I picked a couple. James 2, 2 through 4 says, For if a man comes in your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man with dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes, and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Ever thought about that? That's an evil motive. It's not loving. Leviticus 19.15 from the First Testament. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor defer to the great. But you are to judge your neighbor fairly. 
And I don't know about you, but I don't know anyone that can absolutely judge fairly like God can. And I think that's what his point is, is we leave it to him. Our first Timothy 5.21, Paul's letter to young Timothy says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, without doing nothing in a spiritual partiality. Jesus came to save all. God created all. God loves all. Who is it for us to decide? And I'm not talking about other people, but ourselves too. Who's worthy, not worthy, should have be treated specially, set aside. And listen to this stern conviction from James 2.9. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the laws that transgressors. I don't like that. That doesn't feel good to me. Is it possible when I'm showing partiality, even if I'm not pushing someone down, but if I'm raising someone up, that I'm committing a sin by not loving as God has entrusted me and commanded me to love? And this isn't simply because it's what Jesus would do. The Apostle Paul reminds us that this is the commandment that unifies us. 1 Corinthians 12, 25, his letter to the Church of Corinth, he says, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Right? Do we, we don't order or prioritize our prayer requests when I say, hey, what are we praying for this week? Everything matters. You know, Aunt Judy stubbed toe, the hurricane victims, whatever it is, there was no stubbed toe. Like, that was an extreme example, but... Right, we, we pray for everything because if it matters to one of us, it says it matters to God and therefore it should matter to us as well. And I found a contemporary illustration. This one hit really close to home as, as my father's been in the hospital. But you see these busy emergency rooms and we've been in two to three hospitals in the last month. And, and if you watch the nurses, the way they come in and out of rooms and the various people doing their various things, right? They don't seem to treat anyone differently based on how they dressed or how, or how much money they have or may not have or anything like that. They're treated for who they are and what their ailment is. And I think there's a valuable lesson in that. I mean, the sole reason for the emergency room is to provide a place where people who need care can receive it, right? In the same way, God is there for all of us. Men, women, boys, girls, who are not only sick with sin, but also dead in sin, and in need of a doctor who can save us and, and give us eternal life. That great physician, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, is the one who treats us. And he did not die for the good man or the rich man or the tall man. He died for those who could not help themselves. And I don't know about you, but I can't always help myself. He died for those whom no one else could or would die for. And he died for you. He died for all. All. And I think the Apostle Paul captured this spirit well when he recorded the early history of the church. This is Acts 2, beginning in 44. He says, now all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, it's hard to believe anyone had everything in common, but I would say probably had all the important things in common, right? And it says, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them all as anyone had need, right? They loved each other. They cared for each other. They did this thing we talked about during offer time, which was out of their abundance, they gave to those who had little. And then everybody had what they needed. In this passage, he picks the community of the very first Christians um, as they were gathering and becoming these things that would become the church, in which perfect equality was, was you know, it, it existed. They had effectively torn down the disparity be, be, created by social classes as nobody 
held back anything or was held back by anything. And, and they gave to their fellow Christians who were in need completely voluntarily, and they received joy for it. And I want to pause here and remind everyone that you were included in the alls. Right? God came for everyone. That is you. Yes, we are to take care of our friends and, and love others and be patient with each other, but love yourself. Care for yourself as well. We talked about that last week a lot with the treat yourself message. And I started this message by mentioning that there are around 5,500 appearances of the word all in the Bible. And some of the other ones, other than God loves and created all this, that all sin, all of us have sinned, all have fallen short. Right? Consider the scriptural passage of the Roman road that, that say that all have sinned and fall short of, of God's glory and, and complete obedience to his will. But sometimes all is a unifying term in a good way. Acts 4.32, all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had, all that they had their time, their talents, their treasures, their spiritual gifts, their testimonies. They shared all of that. 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of your Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, unity, with one another and what you say, that there be no division among you, that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. And my favorite all from 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. We talked about that this morning in the Bible study. You know, how, does, how does God, who, who has all the knowledge, all the power, and all the wisdom, right? How does he forget our sins, you know? He's not careless. He doesn't follow. He is so perfect, he chooses to forget. That's the all unrighteousness. With all of his power and might and knowledge, he says, I consciously and have the power to perfectly forget and forgive. And that's something that we, we just can't wrap our brains around. He also guarantees we have all that we need. He'll meet our needs, right? He says, the, you know, how much more value do we have than the sparrow? All the scripture is provided for our equipping we will be equipped with all that we need to fulfill his will and purpose in our lives. And then there's the alls that have to do with our lifestyle. Let all that you do be done in love. You know, all things work together for the good of those who love God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him. And Paul's reminder and here's a little disparity in the word all. 1 Corinthians 6.12, he says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. Now, some, some translations will say, I have the right to do all things. So let's think that. I have the right to do all things, but not all things are good, right? I have the right to do all things, but I will not be mastered by any of them, right? You have the right to go out and do this is that, that double-edged sword of free will. I have the right, the freedom whatever to do that, I can do all these things, but not all things are good. But until we embrace the work of the cross of Christ, we will continue to have a little bit of this prejudice. And I don't just mean racism, sexism, ageism. I mean a prejudgment on ourselves and others. Until we fully embrace what that means, that all means all, all forgiven, all have uh, be you know, cleanse of unrighteousness, 
The work came for all. It was done for all times until we understand that we're going to struggle with this little judgments. Now, there are political and social endeavors to reverse, correct, maybe even swing prejudice the other direction, right? Most, I think, were well-intended. But our human efforts of better economics and more laws will never solve the problem of judgment because hearts can truly only be changed when Jesus Christ is received and we take on the principles of the cross in looking at ourselves and others. God's love is sacrificial, loves all, forgives all, eternally, and all means absolutely all. 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, there's that word again, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. A few minutes ago, I read John three sixteen and 17, right? For God so loved the world and he came to, not to condemn, but to save the world. Do you think Jesus accomplished this mission? He certainly created a pathway to salvation. That's what we're, that's what we're, we're working towards, right? This is, he created a pathway towards salvation and he bridged the divide between us and God. He, he, he covered that gap that, that our sin created. So to that extent, yes, Jesus, the mission, especially for those who have accepted it, but for those who have not, there's work that remains to be done. When he left, he also left instructions. Mark 16, 15, right? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. There's those words again. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. This is referred to as the Great Commission. Have you ever thought of what that meant? It's a co-mission. Our partnership with Christ to continue his work in the world. That's a great responsibility that has been placed on all of us. The Apostle Paul reminds the early church in Rome. He says there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. In fact, again, insert your word, white, black, Hispanic, men, women, whatever. There's no distinction because the same Lord is the Lord of all. One God, Lord of all, who gives richly to all who call on him. All who call on the Lord's name will be saved. All who call. And then comes the charge found in verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear if they've not been told? We have an important mission. We all do. Again, it's World Communion Sunday. In the accounts of the Last Supper found in four places, if you're curious, um, Matthew has it in Matthew 26, 17 through 29. Mark has it in 14, 12 through 25. Luke 22, 7 through 38. And then Paul recounts it, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 25. And that's the one I often refer to uh, on Sunday mornings. But they all have different accounts of, of that event and that evening and the conversations. And they're, they're wonderful because there's so much to that story than the breaking of the bread and the wine. Because he's telling them where he's going and, and he's aware of the betrayal. And there's so much good stuff in there. And, and we really don't do it a justice um, unless we're really in the whole context. But, but on World Communion Sunday, as we prepare ourselves to take part in this, both as a Christian congregation and a gathering of individuals, right? A group of all of us. Let me share a portion of that Last Supper. Again, this is from Paul. It says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. He continues, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amazing, powerful words. Amazing, powerful event. As we prepare for communion, would you join me in this prayer, please? O Lord, Almighty God, we are assembled to commemorate the broken body and the shed blood of your dear Son, Jesus Christ. Prepare our hearts for this observance. Make us worthy as spiritual pilgrims to partake of these holy emblems. Help us to understand the mystery of this sign, that we may observe it to your honor and the welfare of our souls. We freely confess all our sins, our weaknesses and shortcomings, and come to you without defense, with no righteousness of our own. We seek only the righteousness of Christ, which he obtained for us through his bitter death on the cross. May our hungry souls receive nourishment through the grace and gift of your Holy Spirit to partake of the emblems of Christ's body and blood. May Christ abide in us and we in him that his suffering be not in vain. We thank you from the depth of our hearts for the consolation and help you give us. Keep us the remaining years of our lives in faith and love and patience and help us willing to carry the cross you give us. Let us serve you the whole of our lives in temperance, righteousness, and a godly fear, growing in grace and virtue to the honor of your holy name. Amen.